It's wise whenever you're on a trip or on a journey, maybe a long cross-country road trip, to have stopping points along the way. To stop, to check yourself, maybe take a bathroom break, get some food, say, is the, the car doing okay? Do we have plenty of gas? What are we doing? Where are we going? Are we on the right track? Has Google Maps taken us the opposite direction when we meant to go the other way? It's good to have those checkpoints in our journeys. And, 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 and this morning is a very fitting checkpoint for us to have in our current sermon series to the book of Ephesians, the gospel revealed. Well done. We have officially reached the halfway point of the book of Ephesians. Well done. It's been a big, it's been a, it's been a crazy journey. It's been a good one. It's been one that has brought us face to face with what I just said, the gospel revealed. God, through the ministry of Paul in writing to a church 2,000 years ago, in a completely foreign culture to any that we understand today, he used um, Paul in that time to write out the, the mystery of the gospel being revealed throughout the course of history and, and the ways that this, this gospel that is revealed changes everything. It's not simply a mere personal relationship with God, though that is an important part of it. There's a personal gospel that we must consider and believe in through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is only a portion of the gospel. There is also with it a community gospel, a way that if my soul is brought to God and your soul is brought to God, our souls are brought and stuck with each other. A community gospel, the bringing together of two peoples into one new body, which the Bible calls the church. The emphasis of the time was on the Jewish and the Gentile, the Gentile inclusion into the promises that God has made to his people. Along with this community gospel, they're also brought with it a cosmic gospel, a way that the church itself is a witness of the wisdom of God to the powers and authorities in the heavenly places, both righteous and evil. Angels look at the gathering of saints and marvel at God's wisdom. Demons look at the gathering of saints and shudder at the plan and goodness of God. This gospel is so much bigger than just a mere personal relationship with God, not trying to downplay that very important part of our souls being made right with God. But that's where we've been. The gospel revealed. It has been a time for us to, to sit and to marvel at how good God is, how, how amazing his ways are over our own. The next half of this book in many ways is, 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 is characterized, is summarized by the second half of that subtitle. The gospel revealed changes everything. We've, we've seen the gospel revealed. Now we turn our eyes to how this gospel revealed changes everything. So we need to reorient our minds. We're, we're going from the first half of Ephesians, which is a very a rich, a nuanced, a theological, a, be a beautiful picture of God working in history. We now figure out, how does that change my life? 
And so our minds, we have to make that decision here right now. We have to change our minds from marveling at how good God is, though that's important. We need to constantly be marveling. But looking at how that marveling of how good God is requires me to act differently. You and I both need to make that mind change right now. In the book of Ephesians, there are, I found this out the other day, there are 41, I'm going to give you a big word, imperatives in the book of Ephesians. An imperative is a command. There are 41 commands in the book of Ephesians. 40 of them are in the second half of the book of Ephesians. Only one of them is in the first half. This is a command-heavy part. This is an application, implication part. This is a, a part for us to recognize we have to look different than we do now. We have to look different than we knew now. So that, must, that is the, the challenge for us coming into this next part of Ephesians. And with that, we're going to look at a particular part here, and we're going to look at how specifically in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, if you are not there, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. But Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6 is going to show us what I think this statement, if you forget nothing, everything today, and remember one thing, remember this, is that this passage challenges you and I to show on the outside the change on the inside. That's what this passage is pointing to, showing on the outside the change on the inside. I'm going to read for us Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer and use the remainder of our time getting into the text. Please read with me Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Would you please join me in a time of prayer? Gracious Father, we come to you this morning in light of all the other circumstances in our lives. For a multitude of reasons, Lord, we are here, whether out of a sense of desire to worship you, whether out of being forced to be here by somebody else, maybe a, a spouse or a friend or a parent, or maybe we're here out of desperation. Maybe we're here because it's our habit and it's just the thing we do. But Lord, I pray that you would work in, in the lives of each and every person and that though we are here for a multitude of reasons, help us to leave here for the same reason, and that is to be empowered by the Son of God to show your love to the world around us, to marvel at your gospel being revealed and be challenged at the way that it requires change in everything that there is. Lord, we are your temple. 
We are your people. You are our God. Make us holy as you are. Change our imperfect definitions of holiness to match up with yours. Help us to recognize what it means that the gospel revealed changes everything about us. Lord, may we be susceptible to your teaching this morning. Be with me. Keep me from error this morning. Would you use the words that I say to encourage and convict us where we need encouraging and convicting? Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. We begin with a very hefty therefore, an emphasized therefore, based on everything that we've gone over over these last three chapters. This is what we need to be doing. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We this, this, this verse is looking back, as I just said, at all the different things that have happened, all of the ways that the gospel is revealed, and that is this, this calling that you and I have been called to. The word calling is one that in some ways has fallen on in very simple terms within the church. Many times we use the term calling and we, we, for, we forget about the ways that it was used in the scriptures. Many times our modern sense of the word calling revolves around the activities or ways that we serve within a local church body. And to a degree, this is true. But I think we can overemphasize that to the point that we forget that within the scriptures, the overwhelming calling that you and I have isn't which ministry we are to take part in, isn't what our jobs are, isn't our positions in life, but it is our souls being made right with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You and I are are urged, says Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord. We remember, we look back about a a chapter or so, Paul has been talking about how he is a prisoner for for God because of this, as, as, as he has been called to be a preacher of the, ministry, of the mystery of the gospel, the inclusion of the Gentiles. Though notice he says he's not a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of the Jewish peoples. He's a prisoner for the Lord. There's an authority check there. Who's really in charge of Paul's suffering circumstances? Who's also in charge of ours? Paul, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urges you and I to walk. Another word for that walk is to live. That's Paul's favorite word to use to describe going about life, doing our lives, living on a daily basis, waking up in the morning, doing our jobs, loving our families, getting good rest, taking care of our bodies, engaging with friends or whatever else. We are to walk or to live in a manner worthy of the calling that we have been called, worthy of the entirety of the gospel that has been revealed over the course of history. Do not fail to recognize this is a very high standard that Paul is challenging us to live to. This is a high standard requiring us to to expect that you and I are to live differently than the world around us. Our expectations based on receiving this calling, this gospel truth, 
is to live differently. I think I, I thought of it like this. I don't like this illustration, but it's the best one I have, so we're going to go with it. I thought of this illustration to help understand how we think of this, is that if you and I were invited to a fancy dinner, a fancy dinner, we would behave in a higher manner than we may if we're just ordering takeout food on a normal Tuesday night with our families, right? Now, I don't like this example partially because fancy dinners kind of make my head spin and kind of make me feel a little antsy, but bear with me here for a moment. Let's, let's push that part to the side. But if you're going to, you're invited to a fancy dinner, you're putting on nice clothing, you're going to this place, you're, you're, you may be kind, you may not be as loud as you may normally. I'm a loud person. I have to lower my voice if I'm in maybe a nicer place. I don't want to be loud, too loud and distracting from all that's happening. I, you may sit down, you may not put your elbows on the table, right? You may do the, the side of your arms on the table. You may take a, a cloth napkin, not a paper one, lay it on your lap. You may not laugh if somebody burps in the middle of the dinner, whereas at home eating pizza, that may be a more acceptable thing to do. You act differently. There's a different mannerism that you and I would do if we were in that place. And in the same way, we are called to, a, to, to have a higher, to have a better mannerism in the life that we're living, all because of all that God has given us because of the changes on the inside of you and me. Remember, we show on the outside the change on the inside. Because of what's happened inside of me, I have to change what's outside of me. We cannot forget this point. If all that is changed by the gospel of Jesus and yours and my life is only on the inside, we are falling short of the fullness of what God wants to do. Not simply because it's a rule book. I hate when, when we call this a rule book. I, I, it, it bugs me when the Bible is called a rule book and God's commandments are, are simply seen as things to check off a list to prove my own self-righteousness. There's so much greater beauty to God's callings on our lives as we shall see. Now let's take a moment and say what that, we, we've seen that, what that change on the inside is, is that gospel changing inside of us, bringing us together, revealing to all of creation the coming plans of God to bring all things unto himself, things in heaven and on earth, Ephesians 1 verse 10. That's the change on the inside. How do we show that? On the outside, ask yourself this question. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. If you're writing to the Ephesians and you're entering this application part of the letter and you say, what's the first thing that's going to come to my mind to tell you to do to show that there is a change inside of you? What is that? What, do, what would you put in that place? Don't answer out loud. Think about it in your head. What would you put in that place? There's seemingly a lot of great answers. You may say, you got to read your Bible a lot. You may say, you have to have a regular prayer time. You may say, a number of other things. And those aren't wrong answers in and of themselves, but notice what Paul answers here. 
Look with me in verses 2 and 3. After he says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Remember the point of this passage? Show on the outside the change on the inside. How do we show that on the outside? This requires, Paul tells us, different acting, having certain characteristics that affect other people. I think... I think this is one that we have a little twisted up in our brains. And I want to be cautious with how exactly I say this. But I think many times when we, when we engage and we have conversations around unity or living in the body or being in a church, we, we can have this mind process in our, in our own minds that say we, that we look around in a body of Christ, we look around in a world around us, and we, we say, well, I know that I'm doing right with God. I've got maybe my Bible readings. I've got maybe my prayer times. You know, I've got these, these habits that I've formed with, with my God so that I know that even if everybody else is going to crazy town, I'm going to be okay. And those things aren't bad. But those are not the first signs that Paul brings to mind when he's talking about showing what has changed inside of you and me. Those things aren't bad. Those things are necessary for the Christian walk. But the, 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 the ways that Paul's expressing here is ways that you and I are supposed to interact with each other in humility, in gentleness, in patience, in bearing with one another in love. Notice the in love. Being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Let me ask you, are any of those things, things that you can do on your own? No. None of those things are things that you and I can do on our own. I don't practice those skills at home reading my Bible by myself. Paul has in mind here that the first way that you and I are to walk worthy of the all-giving gospel that he has given us is to be all-giving towards others. Others is the emphasis of this passage. Remember, we're in an application part of this book. We're talking about doing, walking. We have to change the way we think about it. And so here we, we see this way that we are supposed to give these things towards others. And I think it's really interesting that Paul appeals the very first point of application to the unity of the church. Because we remember and we look back on Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, as I said it before, is that this, this, if you're looking for a verse that talks about what is the fullness of the gospel supposed to do, look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. Where it says that Christ has a plan for the for which as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, the things in heaven and the things on earth. The gospel brings all things to God. And the way that you and I show that in our lives 
is bringing people together, is, re- is revealing this, this love that we have been shown together with people. That is our primary importance here in this passage. And so we, and Paul even emphasizes on this as we ask the question, well, what, is that, what does that look like? How do we, how do, we do that? Paul, Paul gives us a few points here to, to hit on. We'll read from verses 4 through 6. He says that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. Do you notice the connection here? Bringing together, there aren't multiple options. There is one option, one group, one body of Christ. One. One. Now, Something we have to recognize when reading the Bible is that Paul was writing for a unique issue back then. Different application for the original readers than us, though the same interpretation. Remember who Paul is writing to. Paul's writing to the Greco-Roman world. He's writing to peoples that worshipped multiple gods. And not just worshipped multiple gods, but depending on what city you were born in, you would have a specific city sort of patron god, if you will. And so Paul here is directly challenging that worldview. If you were living in, in Athens, for example, Athens, Greece, your god that you worshipped was Athena. If you lived in Olympia, Greece, your god you worshipped was Zeus. If you lived in Ephesus... The god you worshipped was Artemis. And these were all different gods that had their own little bitty benefits depending on what they were gods over. Paul is challenging all of those notions and saying you're not, you're not being separated by geographical locations. You're not letting your brothers over in Greece worship those gods, but you're stuck here with these gods. You are not worshipping any of these gods. You are worshipping all of you one god. One God. You and I hear that, and we don't struggle with that thought as much. You may say, well, Preston, I'm not really, I'm not really itching to go worship another God. I know I'm worshiping the one God. I know I'm doing pretty good, right? Like, we, that's, that's, not my, that's not our struggle. We live in a different culture, correct? Absolutely. But let this, let's bring this one home for a minute. If the application was different for them, what does it look like for us? Let's ask a big question. I've got to admit, talking about unity within the church is one of those conversations that I feel like has really, really, really been emphasized over the last few years. It's kind of become one of those popular sermon points to talk over is unity, living together. We've got to do this together. We can't be separated. We can't fan out. We've got to be one body. And yet, how many times have we heard a sermon on unity and how much unifying work has actually seemed to be done? Do we got this one figured out yet? 
can we look around, not just here, but all over the world, the church at large, and say, are we, have we figured this one out yet? Have we studied this one enough to say we finally have figured out the way to be unified? I, I, don't, think, I don't think we have. I think this can be both a local church struggle and a global church struggle, but I'm going to focus on a local church struggle here for a moment. Why is it? Why is it that we've heard this talk so many different times? Why is it that we have, have, have interacted with, with this conversation so many different times and we still can't figure it out? Why is it so hard seemingly for us to get along if God is so certain and so definite in his scriptures about how we are united? What's the, what, are, what, is not, what are we not processing correctly? What are we struggling with here? It may sound odd, but I think we're still struggling with the exact same issue that the Ephesians were struggling with. We're struggling with different gods. They just don't look the same as they used to. They don't interact the same way as they used to. They don't have the same names. They don't have the same qualities. But we struggle with different gods. We struggle with different idols, right? We all have our own specific idols, things that we can put in the place of these one, peop one things. One of the easiest ones is one Lord. Lord, somebody who is in control of your life, someone who, who we go to for hope and to, that we think has got it figured out. How often do we go to God versus going to other things? One body, one group of people that we are supposed to be connected with. How often do we change that? One faith, one solution to the biggest problems around us. How often do we look at other options than the faith that God has given us? And we all have, and, and, and again, I think we say, but I, I, I believe in the one God. What's the problem here? Well, we forget the daily struggle of choosing God, right? We may wake up in the morning, read our Bible, pray, say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good this morning. You know, I know that God is in charge. I believe in this. I, we're, we're doing great. I'm off to a great start. And then maybe at about half an hour later, we're driving somewhere and get cut off in traffic. And our words or the response we give may not reflect that as much. Let's go deeper. Maybe we get a phone call from a family member that says there's another health struggle. And that doubt starts to come in a little bit. Maybe we hear on the news headline another great tragedy. And we say, really? The, the Lord's one Lord, one God who's over all? Are you, are you sure? This isn't just something that we can check off in the morning and say, okay, now I know for the rest of the day I'm good on all of these one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is a constant battle that you and I have. And those, those, those moments that bring about struggle and disunity in the church aren't, aren't those Bible study moments where we say, yeah, we're doing good. It's those times when the flesh that is within us, the sin that exists within us, takes over. 
When that sin takes, challenges us and, and, and we give into it and we put other things in the place of one Lord. And we do this habitually. We have battling idols. We're disunified because we have battling idols. Because your idol may disagree with my idol. And you may be saying, why don't you think this? This is what's right. And I may be saying, well, what about this other thing that's right? And then disunity. Many times we, spot, we stop ourselves, we sit ourselves down, we say, I know I believe in one God. They may have problems. They need to reorient to believe in the one God, then we'll be good. I think that's a bad way to think about this. I think we all have these idols that we battle. We all have these one things that we battle. It's not me sitting in a good place and them making their soul right. It's both of us recognizing the constant idols and battles that we have every single day and choosing God in the stead. It's a constant daily struggle to put to rest those idols that exist in yours and my life. And we struggle with that. And we battle with that. And we hurt each other from that. That's where the characteristics come into play of how this is supposed to look. Humility. Putting others above ourselves. Gentleness. Gentleness. Being gentle in the responses or in the ways that people act that we may think sounds a little, sounds really off. Patience. In other words, there could be long suffering, sitting with somebody, recognizing that perfection is such a faraway goal, if an impossibility for us as sinful peoples. Bearing with one another in love. I think sometimes we've learned how to bear with each other. I think the in love part's the hard part. I think we can bear with each other. I think the world around us bears with each other to a degree. But the in love part's the difference. And then there's the eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I like Paul's word there. He says maintain the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say create the unity of the Spirit. Maintain it. Within this whole conversation, we put, so much of, we put so much emphasis on ourselves. I've got to get right. I've got to fix myself. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Paul's there reminding us that we're not creating anything that doesn't already exist. Our unity already exists. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father who is over all. Our unity is there. This is a spirit work that's going to happen in us to lay aside our idols and to choose each other. I think a funny part of this conversation, and we'll hit another part of this, is, well, what if our idols match up? What if your idol and my idol, what if we both don't have God at that one Lord's spot, but we both have matching idols? Well, I think in many ways that's what happens in the world around us. 
think in many ways that's where we as Christians can jump into the divisive instincts of the world around us. One of the words that gets thrown around a lot is tribalism. This idea of adhering to specific beliefs and sitting within a specific group, and if someone does not affirm all the points of this specific group, they are now considered the enemy and are outcast. Tribalism. I think that's one of the reasons why we have that in our world, where division is so hot, where we know more about what separates us than what brings us together. Battling idols. Nobody likes the division that we see around us. No one likes it. And yet, here, we seem to carry an answer. We seem to carry another option, a way that doesn't jump into this tribal, tribalism instincts that our world finds itself in, but a way to provide a third option of saying, we're not going to go to this camp, we're not going to go to that camp, we're, gonna come, we're going to remove the idols that exist from both, and we are going to go to the kingdom, the kingdom of God that has not idols that are in charge, but has one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, over all. What a wonderful opportunity you and I have to speak into modern day problems. Some may say that the church doesn't have the ability to address modern-day problems. This is a pretty big modern-day problem, and this is a really big way that you and I, as the church, in living out the fully revealed gospel, can address this, can say, there's another option here, guys, and this option is Jesus. In closing this passage, in closing this message, as I said before, we're going to be digging into a lot of those personal points, those application points, those challengings directly of the ways that you and I choose to live. If you don't hear something over the next few weeks that challenges a way that you directly live, I may suggest to you to listen to the messages one more time. Because none, no person in this room is in a place that, that, the, that Paul challenges us to live. We can turn cynical by that and say, okay, there's no hope in ever getting there. Or we can recognize that this is a constant daily battle of you and I learning on a constant basis what it means to show on the outside the change on the inside. God is uniting all things to himself in heaven and on earth, beginning with you and me as the body of Christ. We have the ability to show that, to battle against our idols, to forsake the ways of this world, and to choose another option, to choose that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope 
that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This, this is our option. This is our battlegrounds. This is our journey every single day. And my prayer is that you and I would be challenged to forsake those idols that we bring up that cause so much disruption and disunity on a large scale in the world and on another scale in the body of Christ and choose the one Lord to be in control of all things. Everything else is so much smaller.